know the love of Christ, Ephesians 3.19. To know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge is one of the things that the Apostle Paul prays for for the Christians in Ephesus. It's something that we should strive for as well. That is why this podcast is called To Know the Love of Christ. Each episode, we will study scripture in its context, but also dive deep to find the love of Christ, a love so fervent, so honest, and so faithful that it's the very essence of his being. We invite you to know the love of Christ. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again in this study of Ephesians with us. Last time we dove into Paul's prayer for the Ephesian congregation and the three things that he prayed for for them. We asked whether we can truly comprehend the width, length, depth, and height of the love of God. And today, Stephanie is going to lead us into chapter 4. Stephanie? All right, so let's turn to chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Brittany, will you read that for us? Sure. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you. So first off, let's look at verse one. What does it mean when Paul says he is a prisoner for the Lord? Well, Brittany said in a previous episode um, that Paul never said he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. That was something I learned. I didn't realize that, that he's a prisoner of the Lord. Second Timothy 1 8 reads, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. In this verse, um, he tells us why he's a prisoner of God or his testimony of God's powerful gospel. The entire chapter also of Romans 6 is Paul explaining that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to God. So being slaves to sin is death. Being slaves to God is life. And I think the important key to all this is whether we are focused on our current life or the life after death. That's good. What about you, Brittany? These stole my verse. <laughs> <laughs> I had Second Timothy one eight, but when I was when I was reading, and then I, you know, just trying to think around it, I was thinking about when you hear the word prisoner, you think of someone who is owned by another, right? So if you commit a crime, you have to pay your debt to, to debt to society by serving time as punishment to the state. You know, the state owns you until your time is served. And Paul is owned by the Lord, and for good reason, obviously, as as Dee has stated. You know, we know that he often refers to himself as the chief sinner. Um, He persecuted the Jews because he thought he was doing what was right until his conversion in Acts 9. So as we read on about Paul and his life throughout the New Testament, we notice that He never saw his lockup as a burden, but as a chance to do more of the the Lord's work. Right. 
so, and then I mentioned verse, I mentioned Second Timothy, Second <laughs> Timothy one eight. But yes, that makes sense. You know, Paul was never ashamed of the fact that he was in prison because there's a sense in which if he wanted to, he could have boasted in the fact that he was in prison because it was always for the cause of Christ. You know, he realized that even though I'm in prison physically, these physically I'm in bondage, right? But spiritually, I'm free from, from everything. I'm free from sin. I'm free from who I used to be, you know, they only have the physical hold on me. They don't have a spiritual hold on me. And as long as I know that I am free in Christ and I'm a servant of the Lord, there's nothing that can happen on the earthly side of life that he cannot overcome. And the the same is true for us. Yeah. All right. All right. So, of course, I took it a little differently than y'all, as usual. (laughs) Uh, I do feel like that's kind of a recurring theme throughout all of our podcasts. (laughs) Stephanie's just going to be the really weirdo out in left field. Um, But I think when I read this, I thought of two different things. I thought, well, one, his imprisonment is being, you know, used to further the cause of Christ, which I think y'all touched on. But then secondly, it could be a statement of trusting God. Because when we look at imprisonment, I think Brittany has brought this up before, or Dee has, but back then, Paul wasn't like put in jail, In Mm -hmm. fact, imprisonment meant that he was being held before trial. So he was being held by someone awaiting judgment. He wasn't being punished for a crime. So he could be saying in this sense that he is in God's hands. He trusts God. You know, Romans 8, 28, he works all together for good. And he's waiting for the final judgment. And this imprisonment is just part of that. And chains, someone were marked, um, or sorry, chains were deemed a mark of shame back then. It was dishonorable and you look at acts 541 it says then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and they had been locked up for preaching paul didn't want the ephesians to consider his situation shameful he wanted them to see it as an opportunity for the glorification of god he turns worry into hope and suffering into joy fear into faith, and anxiety into anticipation. Paul knew what he was getting himself into. When you go back to Acts 21, and you start at the top of the chapter, in verse 4 it says that they had sought out, when they they got to Tyre, they had sought out disciples while the boat was unloading what it needed to unload. And as his situation progresses, like he gets there and through, it says through the Spirit, these disciples are telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. And it doesn't say that he says anything. They just, after a while, they go on. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets there in verse 10, Agabus, the, prophes- the prophet, prophesies what's going to happen to him. He takes off Paul's belt and he wraps it around his hands and his feet. And he says, thus they will do to the man that owns this belt in Jerusalem once he gets there. And in verse 13, Paul responds, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Because all the people around him had tried to beg him not to go. And he says, for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I think that's really kind of a snapshot of who Paul is. Like he, it's not like he didn't know this was going to happen. He walked in eyes open Mm -hmm. and I was talking about, he turns anxiety into anticipation. Like, do I do that? Am I looking at my circumstance and am I like, man, God's going to do something with this? Or am I like, again, like, why does this happen to me? Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a good example for us. 
Good. Yeah. That's real good. That was a lot of talking. That's real good, weirdo. Yeah, weirdo. (laughs) You can cut what I just said out. Um, All right, so moving on. How do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling? And what is the calling? Okay, I'll go first. (laughs) So I'll say what the calling is first. If you remember in Ephesians 1, the first chapter, um, verses 17 and 18, it's Christ's calling. In Philippians 3.14, it's the same thing when Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's Christ's calling. Back, um, you know, I mentioned 2 Timothy 1 earlier, but in verse 9, it says that it's the holy calling. So we've talked about what is considered holy. It's wherever the presence of God is, right? So if he is calling us and it's a holy calling, he is calling us to him to be holy just like he is holy. But we cannot go to him except through Jesus, John 14, 6. Only Jesus can make us holy in Revelation 7, 14. So that's the calling, the gospel call, gospel calling. (laughs) So how, um, back in Ephesians, keep it in context, um, chapter 1, verse 4 says, he chose us, his, his church, he called us, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So not sinless, but without blame. So there's a difference. And First Peter 1, 14 and 16, it says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So obediently... He says, you know, obedient children. So obediently, not conforming to former lusts. You know, we gave some examples of lusts of the flesh um, other than sexual lusts in a previous episode. And not in ignorance. Remember? 319? Um, Acts 17.30 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So that would be... I think how, you know, we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. All right. What do you think, Brittany? Um, well, along with Dee, she didn't steal any of my verses this time. <laughs> but, um, it's yeah. It's still early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do believe that that the calling is the gospel. And I referenced um, Second, Th- Second Thessalonians 2.14. To this he called you through our gospel. So, um To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I do believe that the calling is is the gospel. And, um, you know, the gospel is what calls calls us to change our lives, to give ourselves fully to Christ and obey him, to become servants of the Lord and to do his will. And in order for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, we must we have to first realize that the old man full of sin is dead. And for time's sake, and because it's very long, I won't read it, but you can look up Romans six verses six through verses six through twenty-three. Um, and you know, that sin is no that sin no longer has control over our lives. We've been set free of that burden and we can live free in Christ, knowing that everything we have and who we are 
is because of Jesus's sacrifice. Um, like, for example, you, you know that feeling when you get a new haircut or maybe a new outfit or maybe you've shed a couple pounds, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish I knew that feeling right now. Well, you guys know what it's like to have a new outfit or a yes. new haircut. Yes. Okay, so... People notice something is different about you. You know, it's the way you carry yourself when you're feeling good or proud of what you have accomplished or about yourself. Now, I would say being saved from sin and eternal death is 10 times better, but the point is still there. When we know what Christ has done for us and we have truly allowed ourselves to be transformed to his will, it will be noticed. We will carry ourselves differently and God will receive the glory because of that yeah i like it all right so when i looked at this i thought you know what is the calling and tried to put it in layman's terms because i mean some of you out there listening may not be members of the church you might be someone who's just coming to know the bible and i think that the calling is god's invitation because i mean someone has to call if it's a calling god's invitation to receive his gift of redemption and the blessings that come along with that and then as you both mentioned helping others to do the same Mm -hmm. and then walking worthy I mean we're really talking about the Christian life it's not a specific walk you know we're not it's not narrowly defined like that it's whatever you're doing in your life and really that's living a life that's appropriate to God's standards and exemplifying what he wants portrayed to the world we're told to be a light to the world in Matthew but I looked in the rest of the verses that we read to find the answer to this question because I felt like it just answered it in verse 2. Literally the next um, verse, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and then eager to maintain the unity of the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, which kind of leads to the next question I have. And to you guys, what are some practical applications of this verse, verse 2? And what it, like what does that look like? in the life of a faithful Christian. I think some practical application come from Paul's next letter over in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, which, by the way, was also written from prison. But um, (laughs) if you read verses 3, 4, and 5 of Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We can also take notice of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 24, which um, in verse 23, it says there is no law against bearing the fruits of the Spirit. And if we belong to Christ, we will bear these, these attributes naturally. So... Your question was, what are some, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) What are some practical applications of verse 2? So I think the practical applications can be found in Philippians 2, 3, 4 through 5. You know, realizing that when it comes to God, we're all on level playing field. He's not going to love one individual more than the next. You know, we are all, there are no favorites with him. He shows no partiality. You know, he loves us all equally. And I think once we realize that, um, you know, it will help us to better the the way that we treat other individuals better. And then I think we will kind of just, you know, walk the Christian life like we mentioned in the previous question what and what Stephanie said, this the calling and then the work walking 
worthily in that calling it's the christian life it's the way that you live your life and once you know that and you realize that hey you know i'm i'm not anything special i'm not i'm not just this grand person you know god loves me as much as he loves the the alcoholic obviously he wants the alcoholic to repent Mm -hmm. you know but he loves us equally and when we when we know that the way we treat others and the way that we deal with certain situations throughout life we will bear the fruits of the spirit you know these attributes will come naturally to naturally to us like breathing right and we're quicker i guess you could say um at extending grace and mercy Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. well how i answered this this was um well it's jesus calling right um he sets the standard uh so we need to go to him to figure out what that standard is. So Matthew eleven twenty nine reads, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentle and lowly is really the only time uh, we get a glimpse into Jesus's heart. Um, Romans 12 is one of my very favorite chapters in the whole bible i just thought y'all should know this but um (laughs) but this entire chapter as much as i would love to sit here and read it to y'all today it's rather long but jesus lived he was the embodiment of romans 12 and it's a good chapter to point a new convert to because it's 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 the I guess like the instruction instruction manual. Here you go. This is what you should. This is how life should be now. But um, Romans twelve. I highly recommend you read that today. Uh, but it it would be a practical application. I guess that's my answer. I like it. So to look at practical applications of this for me, I was going to different people that lived in the Bible that we have accounts of. So looking at humility, I thought of Moses. And for gentleness, I thought of Ruth and for patience. I know we're really quick to jump to Job, but really the first thing that came to mind was the father of the prodigal son mm. and how oh. he was standing on that porch looking. Like, we don't know how long. I'm assuming that wasn't the first day. Right. I highly doubt. No. I mean, providence of God could have made it so, you know, because it's his own story. It's not, it's, not a real account, it's a parable. But I mean, I would assume based on the, that character that he was there more than that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I thought of the new Christians in Acts 2 when it's talking about bearing with one another in love. And I thought those were all practical applications. But I don't know if you guys felt this way when I was looking through these uh, different attributes. I thought that a lot of them overlapped. I was bouncing things off of Rick the other day. Um, I'm thinking about what is humility and what is gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. And they just kind of all weave together in this perfect harmony. And for me, it's not hard. You can separate them and define them easily. But I think the way God intends for this to be harmonious. What's the word? Harmonious. Harmonious. There's the word. Um, And in our own lives, I was trying to think, how do I apply this, you know, simply in uh, humility, yielding when I can, you know, not, not yielding to a mistruth, but yielding to the truth and quietly addressing issues and gentleness when I have an issue with someone instead of publicly doing it. Uh, but for me, it's really, I have a hard time applying patience 
that's one of the most difficult things mm. to do. Too. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's waiting for other people to make the right decision, you know, or the decision you think is right. <laughs> um, sometimes those are two different things. Hopefully they're not. But also waiting for God when making our own decisions instead of just rushing into it because I feel like doing it now. Like and, Sarah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, in high school, I had a hard time with Sarah. I'm like, how is Sarah in Hebrews 11? Mm, the roll call of faith. Yeah. I'm like, how is she in there based off of what all she did? Which that was not me extending yeah. any grace. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, God puts her in there. How am I keeping her out? Who am I? You know, but in high school, like we, we did a lot of character studies on women. And I really struggled with Sarah because I'm like, she really messed that up. Not like I haven't ever messed anything up, you know, and I, you know, I've repented my my ways of thinking <laughs> since then. But, you know, patience, uh, it's just something I struggle with. So is that one of your questions you're going to ask God when you get to heaven? <laughs> no, no, no. I really don't know that I'll be asking many questions. <laughs> I will. I will. I will too. I, I mean, I, I hope I have the mind about me to be able to because I've got so many. But really, I just see myself kind of mouth gaping like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's him. Um, but then also, you know, wrapping that part up, you know, loving others like we should by forgiving them. And I, my mind went to 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love is, all those things. And bearing with one another in love, I mean, God is love. Mm-hmm. And we have to bear with people like God does. Yep. So true. All right. So moving on to our next question. Why do you think eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit is significant? Paul could have said, just said, maintain the unity of spirit, but he didn't. He said, be eager to maintain this unity. What do you all think? Well, I have the new King James and it says Mm -hmm. endeavoring to keep, which... Is still the same, but it's an intentional effort um, to try to do or achieve something. In this case, the unity of the spirit. So why? Um, Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter 5, 8. Um, Without unity, which means one, there are divisions and brokenness to keep the unity of both our salvation and our and of our church family is dependent upon keeping the unity of the spirit so he is our helper our gift and seal of our salvation mm-hmm. yeah so when i was reading uh verse three i was thinking that when paul uses the word eager in this verse he uses it in the sense that we should strive or make an effort to do so do so In the previous chapters of Ephesians, Paul was constantly reminding the Jews and the Greeks that we are one in Christ, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So we are to be unified in what we do, which is important because if we are not unified, um, if we are not on the same page when it comes to spiritual matters, how can we reach those who are lost? Also in John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus prays that we can be unified so that the world will believe that the Father sent him. And then in Psalm 133, 1, the psalmist writes, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Um, and then one more, also in 1 <laughs> Corinthians 1, 10, 
Paul begs us to speak the same thing so there are so that there are no divisions amongst us and so that we can be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So the unity that we must strive for with one another is so that God can be glorified and souls can be saved. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. And Dee mentioned earlier that her version which version are you in? New King James. Right, and what was the rendering there? Endeavoring to keep. Endeavoring to keep. And, yeah. Other versions say be diligent. Yeah. And ESV says do your best. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so, really, the idea is to give diligence to something, to be zealous. And when I broke it down, I thought of the word enthusiasm. It's kind of like an, like there's an energy to it and an attentiveness to it to maintain the unity, which made me think, you know, this doesn't come naturally. It requires work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's just there automatically. It's not a natural thing for us. Mm -hmm. We have to work at it. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell us to be eager to maintain it. It's important. It made me think of Philippians 2, 14 and 15, which over there it talks about doing all things without grumbling and complaining or disputing. And then it talks about us being as lights in the world at the end of 15. This is a mentality first. It's something that we have to make up in our minds. We can't just do it. Like, we have to think about it first. And like I said, unity means work. Am I viewing this work in unity as an opportunity? Or am I viewing it as a burden? I don't get to create the terms of unity. God does that. I'm responsible for upholding it and maintaining it. And I can't even create unity because Christ does that. I just simply promote it. And when I think about unity on the whole, we talk really in my mind, unity and fellowship, they're not the exact same thing, but they go hand in hand. And so we talk about vertical and horizontal fellowship. You know, if you're in fellowship vertically, if both, if two parties are in fellowship vertically with God, then horizontally they're in fellowship. And when you break that line of fellowship with one, it affects the other. I think the same is true for unity. I can't be in unity with God and not be in unity with my brothers and sisters. Yeah. And vice versa, I can't be out of unity with my sister and still be in unity with God. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that does. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I've actually never heard of the vertical oh, and no. horizontal. So I thought that was neat. It's yeah. a cross. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, but I've never I've never thought about that. Or I've never heard of that. And that, yeah, that's true too. I never thought about it. But still, yeah. you know, it's good. So continuing on to the end of verse 3, Paul mentions the bond of peace. Why do you guys think peace bonds us? Why not something else? Hmm. Well, if Jesus is the standard, again, we must look to him. <laughs> for the answer right right so first we get peace peace not peace we get peace <laughs> from jesus right john fourteen twenty seven says peace i leave with you my peace i give to you matthew 5 9 says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god um also i thought of colossians three fifteen that says and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And I also thought of Hebrews twelve fourteen: Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So if we are called, 
uh, to adoption, like in chapter 1, verse 5, as sons, we must be peacemakers, peaceful and peaceable, because otherwise no one will see the Lord. So uh, peace is like the ligaments in a body. You know, we're the body of Christ, and peace is the ligaments that keep things attached. I like it. Brittany? Yeah, so when something is bonded together, it becomes one. So what was once two pieces of something has now become one whole piece, like for marriage, for or like marriage, for instance. Two individuals through marriage have become one entity and for the rest of the li- their lives they dwell amongst each other laugh cry everything they do is with each other and while every day won't be a grand one <laughs> they love each other and can be at peace with each other despite what life throws their way so i think the same is true with us in the church we become part of a much larger family where christ is the head And in Christ, we are all separate entities that make up this one body um, that has to work together. And we can only do that if we are bonded together in peace. Um, I actually mentioned Colossians 3, 14 through 15. (laughs) Jeez, there's a Bible stealing thief over here. Well, if I'm going to steal, I'm going to steal something good, right? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, but I was thinking about that. And then I also thought about, um, and I can't call the book chapter and verse, but uh, where he talks about the body is made up of all these these different entities. These all, the you know, the body has all these different compo- components. And while um, he, he is talking about the physical body, it also goes with the spiritual body as well. Okay, so like your head does one thing, your arm does one thing, but as a whole, everything works together but there has to be peace you know um everything has to be bonded together to work well and funny thing when i was when i was first baptized and i was reading about the the body right because that's like one of the main things that they teach you like after you become a christian you know look the church is the body of christ you know we're all different beings but we all make up one body and we all do different things and I forgot who said it, but somebody said, try to write without your thumb, without using your thumb. That is the hardest thing that I have ever tried to do. And you ever notice that like when you have, like if you bruise one finger, it doesn't even have to be a thumb or something. When you bruise one finger, the whole hand is just like out of whack. It's like (laughs) you cannot do anything, you know? And the body of Christ is like, it's like that too. We're all different individuals come from different parts of the world. But we all make up this one body, which is Christ's body, which is his church. And if one piece of that body is out of whack, the entire body is out of whack. And it's no longer in peace. It's no longer unified. It's just wonky and weird. You know, it's just, it's not right. You know, it's still functional, but just not to its full potential. And all the members have to compensate for it. By the way, that's 1 Corinthians 12. Thank you. Yeah. So when we look at Philippians 4.9, Romans 15.33, Romans 16.20, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and Hebrews 13.20, all those verses refer to God as the God of peace. And so when I think of what bonds us, God bonds us. God is the reason that we're all together. Christ Mm -hmm. is the reason for our unity. 
So there, <laughs> question answered. <laughs> Which I'm joking when I say that. Uh, Philippians 4, 7, right before you get to 4, 9, talks about that peace of God surpassing all understanding and guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I thought of the idea of reciprocity, which I know is a big word. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Which if you want that to be defined, thank you, Webster. It's the quality or state of being reciprocal. Totally defined. (laughs) um, Which is more really, it's mutual dependence or mutual influence. Peace attracts peace. When we think of ourselves as humans, people that want peace gravitate toward people who are peaceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, you become friends with people that are like-minded. Yeah. If you don't like drama, you stay away from people that create drama. You don't want to be in that chaos. And as humans, I think we are built. We do live in a fallen world. So some people do, toxic people, do gravitate toward other things. Or sometimes even non-toxic people, if they're going through things, can gravitate toward that. But humans, I think God built us. He's, we're made in his image, and God is peaceful, and he wants peace. We want peace as well. You think about when wars are fought, why are they fought? They're fought to bring peace. It's not like we're fighting, at least we hope, we're not right. fighting yeah. just to fight. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I do wonder sometimes, <laughs> you know, with my own kids. Sometimes they fight just to fight. But a lot of times there is a reason in mind. There's something that we're fighting for. And when you talk to most people, it's to bring peace. It doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. And sometimes that, you know, we talked about in the last question, maintaining unity. That's work. Peace, it makes work. We have to work at it. It's not just going to come by us sitting there and doing nothing. Even if we think ignoring a problem and not confronting it is going to keep peace, it doesn't. Eventually, we're kind of like the Mentos and Diet Coke. You pour it in, you can put the lid on that. Yeah, it's going to explode at some yeah. point. You know, so. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you made, too, when you were talking about how people gravitate to what they they want or what they like. So if you want peace, you tend to gravitate towards people that want peace. And I immediately thought about that, that saying, you know, misery loves company, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot like that. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm miserable, I want somebody to sit with me and be miserable too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's just talk about all the misery in the world. And it's just, <laughs> you're going to gravitate towards that naturally because unfortunately that's what you, what you want. And the same is true with, with, with peace as well too. So yeah, I think that was a, a really good point. Yeah, there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about that. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Mm. We don't want people singing happy songs around us when we're sad. Yeah, yeah we want true. We want a friend that's just going to sit with us like Job's friends did mm-hmm. before they opened their mouths. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the next verse and discuss what we refer to as the seven ones. And talk about their significance to Christianity today. I'll go first. Okay. (laughs) All right. So the first part of it says one body and one spirit. So it's Jesus's body. Uh Okay. So Jesus's body is sealed, therefore safe in the spirit. James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, I think can be applied here as well. I mean, think about that. 
when I studied that, I was like, whoa. Of course, yeah, yeah, he was right. <laughs> He's like, James was talking about, you know, faith without works is dead. But for as the body, Jesus' body, without the spirit, it's dead. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so because of that, we have the one hope. The spirit gives us access to the father by sealing us in chapter 218. One Lord, that was for the benefit of the Ephesians who came from idolatry and polytheism, but it's also for us today who struggle with uh, former lusts of the flesh that we talked about in chapter 2, verse 3, or even new temptations. So there's one Lord that we should put in front of everything. One faith, um, that's the revealed mystery of Christ that we've been studying about, studying about. Um, so it's the revealed mystery of Christ raising us up together with him, that saving grace that we live by, right? Chapter 2, 8. And there's one baptism, the way by which all of this comes together, dying to sin and being raised up with Christ. Remember Acts 19, they knew about this when um, the, how the church came about in, in Ephesus. And then one God and Father of all, so 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, well, first, let me read um, this part where it says one God and Father. It says one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, be complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So be complete, who is above all, be of good comfort, that's and through all, be of one mind, that's and in you all, live in peace, and the God, which is, remember the bond that keeps us together, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So that's Very my good. seven ones. <laughs> Very like good. That. What about you, Brittany? Okay, well, I thought we were going to break the seven ones down. Like, we was going to... We can, yeah. Yeah, we wow. can still do that. I took it I was, a completely took different it as direction well. than D as well. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, surprise. <laughs> well, okay, so, um, like, okay, so the one body I was, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, which he bought with his life. If we backtrack, I said I couldn't remember the verse about the body being one, and it's in my notes. <laughs> so <laughs> I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and then, um, the one spirit, which is the spirit that bonds us to, together, that also dwells within us and is a gift from God. And I also mentioned Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. And then the one hope, which I believe is the hope of heaven and eternal life. And you could look at verses like First um, Peter chapter 1 verses um, three through five, which says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And I also mentioned Colossians one five um, and I won't read them all. And then um, one Lord. So he is our only savior. There is no other, there is no other savior coming, despite what some people might think. And 
First Corinthians eight six. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we all, through whom all are things, and through whom we exist. That was a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also thought about um, Isaiah. Uh, 43 and verse 11 which says I I am the Lord and besides me there is no savior um, and then of course um, one faith so there is only one faith or belief that will lead us to truth and to Jesus and that's what I meant I jumped ahead but that's what I meant when um, Paul mentioned that I believe it's 2nd Corinthians eleven four where he says, oh yeah, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So basically Paul is saying, look, there's one gospel, there's one Lord and Savior, whoever comes in trying to teach something else other than what we have already taught you, you you know that it that it's false that that's not true that's not that's not real and then also over in um Jude uh 1 3 through 4 beloved although i was very eager to write to you about about our common salvation i found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensual into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ so again there are people coming in saying hey there's there, there's a whole nother faith or there's a whole nother way or, or whatever it is it's it's contrary to what we have been teaching you, you know, don't pay that any attention. And more importantly, contend that, like, let them know you're wrong, you know? And then of course, um, baptism, you know, there's only one way to have our sins forgiven and that is through baptism and you only have to do it once. However, I just want to make this clear. However, once you have been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you still must walk with Christ every day and seek him out always. You know, we always hear the preachers say there's no such thing as dipped and done. Right. Yeah. So you can't just be baptized and get up and be like, Whew, I got that. So now I can do whatever I want or I'm, I'm good. I've been baptized. No, no, no. There's still a life. You still have to walk in that that manner that we've been called to walk through. Um so there are rules to abide by when following Christ, when following Christ and, you know, for time's sake and different things like that. I won't read the verses, but I will reference them. First um, Corinthians twelve thirteen, and then Galatians 26 through 28. So that's Galatians what 26 to 28, three, no Galatians three, 26 you didn't through say 28. three. Oh, what did I say? <laughs> you said Galatians, Galatians 26. 26. Oh, <laughs> like, sorry. Yep. That is Galatians three, 26 <laughs> through 28. <laughs> yeah. So that is how, um, I dealt with, oh no. And we forgot the last one. What last one? Um, no, yeah, forgot I forgot the last one. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so one God and Father. So there is only one God who has made salvation possible for us and provides us with all that we need. So you can look at 1 Corinthians 8, 6, um, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 12, Psalm um, 95, verse 3, and Jeremiah 10, 10 through 13. And 
I know we live in the age of the New Testament, but I have a great love and appreciation for the Old Testament yeah. because we see so much of who God is. And in the Old Testament, at least in my opinion, from what I've what I've read based on the Old Testament and the New Testament, you read so much about the, the prophets who talk so much about who God is and what he is and what he does, like everything that he's capable of. And I really do feel in the Old Testament, you really, really do get a glimpse of who God is. Mm -hmm. I mean, a picture perfect image of who God is and what he does for us and how much he loves us. I know a lot of times we read the Old Testament, we be, we're like, God just wants to punish people. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. You really see the long suffering of mm -hmm. him, the mercy. And we always talk about that recurring cycle about how the Jews sinned, they cry out for forgiveness. God saves them. They're faithful for a while, and then it starts back over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they yeah. sin. Yeah. You know, the whole cycle starts back over. But the one thing that consistently gets me about God that just that solidifies my love for him even more every time that I read the Old Testament is the simple fact that no matter how many times I mess up, he's always there to save me, and he will continue to do that you know yeah. just that that yeah. long suffering and that patience that he has with us it's it's a it's a great thing but anyways that's how i handled the, the seven <laughs> ones yeah and you guys pretty much covered it uh as far as breaking them down the only other note i had and i don't know if you guys have experienced this in your own lives but sometimes there's this i don't know if i want to call it a temptation or what but it's like People in the church struggle with taking this passage and using it divisively. The seven ones? The seven ones. We look at the one body and the one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all. And yes, these are all distinct things that, you know, the word one implies that. Mm -hmm. But they're distinct, not divisive. They're seven cords of unity, not seven rounds in a chamber to be fired at whoever doesn't line up with what we think they mm. should line up with. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's this passage, and no passages, but this passage isn't meant to be weaponized like that. And when we abuse it in this way, we miss the whole point. When we were discussing through Ephesians 2, 11, through the end of chapter, the end of that chapter, we talked about how unity was just so prevalent. And if you didn't get unity when you read it, what did you, you get? Yeah, yeah. Well, you were looking in the wrong place. I feel like that can be applied to this short passage right here, these mm -hmm. six verses. If you're not getting unity, you're missing the whole point. And people, I don't mean this in like all the church, but sometimes we take this passage and we use it to uphold traditions and culture, and mm -hmm. we use those as precedents in the church. And when we do that, we're not using this passage in wisdom. Right. We're using it incorrectly. And that's just something I want us to be mindful of mm -hmm. and warn against. Because the whole point of this is those are seven un seven components that balance unity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think well, you handled that well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right in the middle of unity. It's, mm -hmm. It right. talks about the, the first few verses is the unity, the bond, the... And then the ones, and then he continues on, which we're going to get to in the next in the next episode about, you know, the continuing unity. Right. So, yeah. One of the things I thought of when you were talking, Brittany, you talked about the Old Testament. Not mm -hmm. only do we see how great 
God's love is for us. <clears throat> but we see the unity of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. There's no separation. You don't hear of God the Father, God the Son, God yeah. the Holy Spirit. You just hear God. God, yeah. So there's a complete unity there yeah. in, within God. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about people using this passage as divisive because I, I did think of that too and I I didn't want to get in it too much on this on this podcast <laughs> on this on this episode rather or pretty much in general, but I completely get that because a lot of times and unfortunately it is us it is the christians who will take this and like you said which i think the word that you use with it's like seven rounds in a chamber yeah. oh you want to go toe-to-toe well let me tell you this i got yeah. the one faith the one hope That's the one right. you know what i'm saying and it's just like well that one hope that one faith that one love it's extended to all of mm-hmm. mankind and yes as christians once we've studied and try to get a better handle on the Bible and how to properly a- apply it. Yes, in this present moment, who um, Paul is talking to is to Christians. But just think about when we sit down and we study with people who are not Christians, we're not letting them know, hey, this is only for us. Like, no, you can have this too. You know, so we want you to be unified with us, you know, and we're quick to use this for these, these seven ones to tear down other people and their mm-hmm. religious beliefs and different things like that. And I I think to myself too, you know, we, if we do stuff like that, like Stephanie and Debo said, you know, if you're not getting unity throughout this, throughout these, these passages, then you're reading it wrong. And then not only that, if you're trying to study with somebody and you, you like, you may under you see that it's unity, but you tearing them down in the process. Like, yeah. you're not a very unified person you know we mm-hmm. we do more harm than good you know this book remember paul's writing to a congregation that was jews and greeks mm-hmm. jews and gentiles so unity get together as one yeah and this is the first of several things paul will talk about it's to you know to walk in unity walk in love walk in uh, wisdom and walking something else. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but it's it's interesting that he starts off with unity. You know, it, one, 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 one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's so important. You mm-hmm. can't do all the other things. Right. Like it's codependent, we'll say. I won't use <laughs> Were you going to say symbiotic? symbiotic. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going in my brain. Thank you. But I do, like you said, Brittany, it's sometimes I feel like we have passages that we just really feel like explain things clearly and this is a clear passage Mm -hmm. and sometimes they're not it's not the best to start with like this specific passage not because it's clear like we want things to be clear but sometimes there's better ways to approach people Mm -hmm. first instead of just whacking them over the head with something like Mm -hmm. this like well you don't have this you need this bam bam Mm -hmm. bam you know like we've got to be more tactful in our approach because yes if you if you are not in the body you're not in unity and you can think you're in unity and it's going to hurt to hear that you're not Mm -hmm. but there is a more loving approach to it right for sure so and that's i think what we're getting at there Mm -hmm. all right so to wrap it up our favorite question (laughs) where do we see the love of christ in this passage specifically in the seven ones (laughs) (laughs) that's that's definitely where i see it not only 
I don't want to repeat everything that we've said, but you know, to know that we are unified with these seven ones and these seven ones produce that unity that we so desperately want that Jesus has prayed for us to have. Um, but also too, there's a very, there to me, it's very simplistic as well. And that is in my mind, you know, cause I'm always thinking, how did God work this out for Brittany? Right? So it's just like, listen, I'm going to give you seven one ways to do something. <laughs> so you don't have to struggle to try and figure out, do you do it this way? Do you do it that way? I feel like sometimes God is like, I did this for you, Brittany, because I know <laughs> multitasking may not be the best trait that you possess, you know? <laughs> and so it's just like, I'm going to give you give you one way to be baptized. I'm going to give you one way to be saved. I'm going to let you know that there's only one hope. There's only one God. Like, don't worry about anything. There's just one. And Brittany can handle one. <laughs> I can handle one. <laughs> you know, so I definitely see the the love of Christ there that in these seven ones, you will be unified with everyone ar- around you. But also those seven ones are the the main way in which you have access to God or you access him. Right. So, you know, I think this might be a little bit off track but I'm gonna say it anyway I probably shouldn't but I am anyways in in Matthew where he talks about the straight and the narrow the straight and the narrow gate you know there are only two gates right but Mm -hmm. within those two gates there's only one way to Mm -hmm. access God and that's through the narrow gate you know so I I think about that as well it's just like there's there's always gonna only be one way and that's because I don't I, I do feel like God is like, I don't want y'all to struggle to find me. I want y'all to know who I am. I want y'all to know what I am providing you with. And it's, it's just, it's one, it's just one Mm -hmm. thing. So, so focus. Yes. Only on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I see it in verse two, where it says with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. That's for, attitudes um jesus embodied this and he left us that example and i find it in the hope that expectation of eternal peace i was recently watching a show that everyone i feel like has seen before i have it's called the chosen Mm -hmm. i don't know if y'all have watched that and we've only watched one episode and at the end of the first episode as you know it ends with christ holding that woman in his arms And it just kind of hit me and I emotionally projected myself there because I do that especially when there's emotional music. Um, But I think it was a good thing that I did. But I went there in my mind and I cannot wait to feel that peace and to feel that love and to be made whole eternally and to be in the arms of Christ. Like that just, I don't know, it hits me in reading through this passage, that one hope. It's what carries us through the hard times, but it's also what keeps us grounded in the good times. And that's why I saw it. Okay. I like that. All right. Well, we thank you so much for joining us again today in our study through Ephesians. We hope and pray that you will join us again and that in your own lives, you will seek to know the love of Christ all around you. We'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.